Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 61 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today we will be talking with a local farmer here in Washington who runs the goat farm Mount Capra, and we are going to be talking a lot about the differences between cow milk and goat milk uh, because we hear a lot about the inflammatory responses people have to cow's milk. So in this episode, we're going to talk about is if that is the same type of response that people receive from goat milk or if there's a big difference between cow milk and goat milk. So it's super fascinating. So let's dive right in to my conversation with the president of Mount Capra, Joe Stout. Joe Stout is the president of Mount Capra, which is a crafter of premium goat milk products. He has a master of science in human nutrition, and he runs the largest goat dairy farm in Washington state and engages in studies of sustainable food systems. Thanks for coming on to this show, Joe. Hey, thanks very much for having me, Brian. Of course. And as we start diving into a little bit about your goat farm, can you go into the background of Mount Capra? When did it start and how long has this farm been in the family? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, it's, it's a pretty neat story because it's a story in longevity. Um, there is a desire out there in the world to start 100-year companies. And it's a great desire because it's it shows an ability to look beyond your current generation and to build something that you won't see the end to. And that's kind of what Mount Capra is. It was started back in 1928 um, by the Eggers family, a guy by the name of um, Peter Eggers. And uh, he started the pro- uh, he started the farm uh, with goats to make goat cheese, and he developed a process for making a nutritional supplement from the leftover whey. When people think of whey, they think of protein, but in the case of whey that's left over from cheese, when you make cheese, it's actually very high in minerals. And so he he de- developed a, a way of concentrating down the minerals. So he would he was selling since 1928 goat cheese and a nutritional mineral supplement that he called WEX, whey extract. And so he did that for several, uh, for, for, for many, many years. And then his son came alongside uh, and his son's name was Melvin Eggers and Melvin ran the, ran the farm and they, they got a, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of accolades and kudos from a, um, a, a doctor of nutrition by the name of Bernard Jensen. And Bernard Jensen was a very, very interesting man in that he was a real health pioneer for his time. And he noticed as he was um, bringing people kind of back from the grave a lot of times with his uh, with his health protocols, and he would actually have people to his ranch in California, uh, he noticed that people um, did very, very well on goat milk and the WEX, the whey extract. And so he started really heavily recommending the WEX and, and recommending people um, use goat milk for um, uh, for when they're when they're sick, um, and actually wrote a book called Goat Milk Magic, uh, which is an excellent book. Um, and and then uh, this this went on until the mid 1980s. And uh, Melvin at that time was 
the son of Peter, was getting a little uh, up there in the years, and and he wanted to. He didn't have family to pass the farm on to, and so he was approached by a young farmer by the name of Frank Stout, and that was uh, my father. And that was back in 1985. He passed uh, or he sold the business, sold the farm and business on to my dad, Frank. Um, and my dad uh, ran the company and um, continued to make cheese, continued to make wax. And um, uh, this is all while I was growing up on the farm and I'd work on the farm and milk the goats and do all that kind of stuff. And and then in uh, when I was going off to school, I decided that what uh, I would study in school was nutrition. And so I got a bachelor's in uh, bachelor's of science in nutrition, and then I went on and got a master's of science in nutrition. And then I came back after school, and uh, my dad decided he was going to go back to school. And so he went to Bastyr uh, Naturopathic College up in Seattle. And uh, while he went to Bastyr, he focused exclusively on that. I came back to run the farm and run the business. He has since finished with Bastyr, uh, and he's back on the farm as well. But uh, that is the kind of history of Mount Capra. And uh, it go, kind of goes to show that families um, are a very integral part of farming uh, because uh, farming is a very capital intensive, but it's also a long term investment. It's not something you can get into and out of quickly. And so it's uh, it's uh, the kind of thing that uh, I hope that my kids will be able to be a part of as they as they get older. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of history behind Mount Capra and the fact that the the idea of trying to make a 100-year company is pretty neat cuz a lot of companies tend to um, you know, go off the deep end after about 25 years. So, yeah. It's cool to see a company that's able to sustain and keep uh, moving forward, especially a farming company for sure. Um, yeah. but one of my questions is why did Mount Capra focus on goat products instead of cow products? Uh, excellent question. Um, so in the when my dad, my dad actually grew up in Everett, Washington. He was a city boy, but always wanted to get into farming. And so when uh, he and my, my he and my mom got married, she was a school teacher, and he just he said find a job somewhere where it's rural where I can find a job on a farm. And so she did, and he started working on a cow dairy, and it was a thousand head cow dairy. So it was a fairly large cow dairy for around here. And um, eventually worked his way up until uh, until he was running that particular dairy. He didn't own it, but he was running it. He was the he was the uh, kind of the top dog manager of the place, and um, decided at that point this was late 1970s that he was going to try to make it on his own. And so he started a cow dairy, and he ran that cow dairy for a couple of years, um, and then in 1980, actually, the uh, Mount St. Helens uh, blew up. And caused all kinds of chaos throughout the uh, throughout Washington State, and the government at that time was was offering some interesting incentives to to um, to get farmers out of the cow dairy um, industry, and so my dad actually saw some of that, and th this was not in 1980. This was later, 1983, 1984, that he actually decided that he saw basically what was the handwriting on the wall for a lot of dairies at that time, which was get big or get out. So you either had to embrace the industrial um, agricultural mindset, which is animals are nothing more than units of production, um, or you had to just basically get out. And so he decided he didn't want to farm that way. He didn't want to farm the um, industrial model. 
And so he decided to get out. And at the time, he didn't want to be done farming. And so he saw what we really need is I really need to have a niche. I need to have an area that I can, um, that's maybe small. So there's not maybe the market as maybe not as big of a market, but it is going to be a market that is more conducive to smaller farming operations. And so he saw that goats could be a unique opportunity. Interestingly, at the time, that was about the time that I was born. I was born in 1984. Uh, at the time I was born, I was very allergic to cow milk. Um, and, and cow milk allergy is, is, is a very, very common allergy. It's the most common allergy for kids under three. They're more likely to be allergic to cow milk than anything else. More more allergic than peanuts, more allergic than soy. It's just the most um, allergenic compound out there for kids. So not surprisingly, I was allergic to it. And it's the kind of allergy where you might lick a ice cream spoon and then break out completely in hives. Um, and so so goat, goat milk was very unique and very interesting to him because not only was it niche, but it also met a, a, a specific need that his family was experiencing at the time. So were you able to have goat milk, but not able to have cow milk then? Yep, absolutely. Uh, goat milk, uh, cow milk contains a uh, allergen called alpha S1 casein. Alpha S1 casein is um, is the is the component in cow milk that uh, makes it allergenic for kids. It's also the reason why oftentimes you hear people say that people need to, you know, recommended that people stay away from milk because of the casein. Well, goat milk contains casein too, but it's a completely different form of casein. It's not the alpha S1 form. Um, it's actually referred to as the alpha S2 uh, casein, and um, it is uh, it is not it does not carry the allergen potential, not nearly the allergen potential that alpha S1 carries. And so, because of that, it is um, very easy to digest, um, and it's very low allergy. In fact, one of the things that uh, some 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 research has been showing is that on a, a nucleotide level, so an actual DNA level. Um, they're seeing that the protein found in goat milk very closely resembles the protein found in breast milk or mother's milk. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they, f they, they are kind of theorizing that people do so much better on goat milk than they do on cow milk because it actually resembles something our body can recognize. Now, I don't know if you know this, but is there any differences between goat milk and sheep milk? Is sheep milk more like cow milk or is it similar to goat milk or... Nope, sheep milk. Sheep milk is much more similar to goat milk than it is to cow milk. Uh, it, it it carries the same properties that um, that goat milk does in that it does not contain the alpha S1 allergen that cow milk does. Um, the difference between goats and sheep, and the reason why goat milk, um, the the reason why sheep milk is a little bit less common even than goat milk, both of which are fairly unusual, but, uh, but sheep milk is even more uncommon than goat milk. And that has to do with the fact that sheeps generally only lactate, produce milk for about four months out of the year. And so you get overall in a, in a year long production uh, year, you get a whole lot less sheep milk than you do goat milk uh, from a, from a similar sized animal. So that brings up a really good question. What's the difference in the amount of yield uh, per animal uh, between like a goat and a cow? Because I'm, I'm assuming that there's quite a big difference of how much milk you actually receive. Oh, yeah. It's <clears throat> on a per weight basis. It's actually quite similar. 
but on average, a cow is about 10 times as big as a goat. And so the um, yield is about 10 times more for a cow than it is for a goat. Um, but this also actually raises some interesting kind of um, biodynamic questions, some kind of uh, the, the, the energy potential in cow milk is something that we can measure in calories. And the energy potential in goat milk is something that we can measure in calories. And both are fairly similar in terms of their potential energy that they can, that they or their, their real energy uh, in terms of caloric energy. But the difference is, is there is a biodynamic potential for cow milk. And the point of cow milk is to take a newborn calf, which may be 60 pounds, 70 pounds, 80 pounds, and, and raise that calf up into a 1,500-pound cow or a 1,200-pound cow. And so you have a, a substance that is very likely to grow something very big. That's what it's, it's, what it's meant for. Whereas when a newborn kid or a newborn baby goat, that's also called a kid, when they're born, they're six to seven pounds, and the the full grown um, goat is anywhere from 130 pounds up to maybe 210 pounds. So those are much more human sized goals, human sized beginnings, and human sized en endings. And so there's been some theorizing that that's one of the reasons why people do better on goat milk than cow milk, is that the energy uh, the energy potential that is used for is is to create uh, is to grow a an animal that's about the same size as a human up to the size of about the same size as a human. So it's it's an interesting way of looking at it, even though the um, the actual caloric energy is pretty similar. So do you think, in theory, that could also be why goat milk is uh, relatively very similar to breast milk? Yeah, exactly. So, so you have a little baby, um, that's six or seven pounds, just been born, and uh, it's nursing on mother's milk. Well, that that is the best thing that that baby can get is mother's milk, and that mother's milk is designed to get that baby on the start, on the path to grow into a fully formed adult. Which, you know, what is that? What's the average weight of humans? It's probably 120 pounds to 200 pounds, somewhere somewhere in that ballpark. That's what mother's milk gets the gets the newborn baby on the path towards growth, and that's what a newborn kid's milk, mother's milk or the uh, goat milk, is to get the newborn kid to that 120 to 200 pound uh, final final weight range. So, for a woman who's having issues lactating uh, or providing breast milk for her baby, would it be a better option? Do you think to use goat milk as a substitute instead of using formulas that's packed full of sugar and soy? Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, and the the answer is a little bit complicated in that goat milk by itself is not suitable for infants by itself. So you wouldn't want to just go to the store and uh, buy a gallon of goat milk or a half gallon of goat milk and just feed it to your baby. There's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is that the um, the uh, the renal uh, solute load that uh, a newborn baby kid. Um, versus a newborn baby can handle. Basically, what their kidneys can handle in terms of protein is different. Baby goats can handle a higher protein load than baby humans. Um, and so um, there is, uh, th you need to get it into some kind of formula. Um, but we, but Mount Capper for the last six years has been actually, or seven years now, has been providing um, mothers and, and caregivers 
the, the ingredients to make a formula. Basically, it's you, uh, you want to reduce the amount of protein in the goat milk so that it's more in line with what a human child's needs are for their newly developing kidneys. Um, so I would not recommend ever just feeding goat milk solid, or just by itself, but using it as the protein source in a, uh, in a, pro in a infant formula is very ideal if breast milk is not available. Interesting. So with the um, increase in protein, is there a higher level of protein in goat milk than what you would find in cow milk? Or is that still pretty similar? It's pretty similar. Um, goat milk has just a slightly, uh, slightly higher amount of, of protein, slightly lower amount of um, lactose or milk sugar, and fairly similar fat levels, maybe a little bit more fat, uh, overall fat. But as far as macronutrients go, fat, protein, and, la and uh, carbohydrates, they're pretty, they're pretty similar. And then previously you were talking about how goat milk is less allergenic than other milks. Um, can you go into some of the other benefits of using goat milk? Yeah, sure. So a lot of times what we'll, we'll hear from people and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, um, I'm lactose intolerant, but I can handle I can handle goat milk just fine. Well, the thing is that a lot of people may not know is that goat milk actually does have lactose in it. And so what that generally means is that the person that thinks they're lactose intolerant is actually not lactose intolerant. They are intolerant to the protein found in the goat milk. And so the protein levels, uh, the protein, um, I shouldn't say the protein levels, I should say the protein forms that are found in goat milk are far more conducive to easy digestion, com more complete absorption, and um, less uh, allergenic reactions. And so those are going to be some of the some of the the highest um, reasons why you'd want to you'd want to choose a goat milk product over a cow milk product. The thing about dairy, and a lot of people a lot of people don't quite realize this with because dairy is so common, um, but dairy is a extraordinarily nutrient dense food. And so it's it's really quite a miraculous food, and so it's it's not surprising that it's a major part of our diet, um, because dairy you you get a a very high concentration of calories, protein, carbohydrates, and fat within within you know a, a glass of whole milk. Um, the difference though is that if that if you are sensitive to it, if you are allergic to it, and a lot of people are sensitive and allergic to cow milk then even though you have that high nutrient density, that nutrient density isn't going to do you any good if you're not adequately digesting it and you aren't adequately absorbing it. To kind of put a spin on the old phrase, we're, we, it's not that you are what you eat, it's you are what you digest. And so if you're eating foods um, and a big part of your diet is foods that you're not properly digesting and absorbing, then you are oftentimes just giving your body more work than um, than actually uh, high quality nutrients. And as we talk about nutrient density, um, are you talking about just the milk in general, like any type of milk, as long as it's in a whole form, um, will have a lot of dense nutrients in it? Or are you talking more specifically uh, milk products that are coming from uh, pasture raised or grass fed type animals that are getting um, more nutrients in their feed than they typically would in like a feedlot. 
Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. <clears throat> definitely. Um, you're going to have your higher quality dairy, dairy products. That's for sure. So, you know, you're, uh, if, if you handle cow milk, fine, your raw milk that you're getting from, from your local farmer who grass feeds, uh, as much as, as much as the seasons allow, um, that is going to be some of the highest quality milk you're going to get. Ruminants, um, a ruminant is, is a deer, a cow, a goat, a sheep, any, 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 uh, any animal that has multiple stomachs. Um, one of those stomachs is called a rumen, and that's where the grass will actually go to ruminate, um, and they actually will pull nutrients from it. So any ruminant that um, is on grass will produce something called conjugated linoleic acid, CLA, um, but ruminants are the only animals that produce this and they produce it in their milk and they produce it in their meat. And they're the only animal that produce this, but they won't produce it if they're exclusively fed grain, if they're grain fed animals. And so, yeah, you're definitely going to get higher nutrients from grass fed animals. Uh, that's why here at the at Mount Capra, we are kind of grass fed fanatics. We know we are grass based nutrition to, to kind of to the core because Ruminants are not really meant to to have grain be a huge part of their diet. Um, but I, I also mean that dairy products, if you look at, say, a cup of, you know, whole milk versus a cup of almond milk or soy milk, you'll see very quickly that the nutrient profiles are very different. And in the case of somebody trying to, you know, lose weight or reduce their overall caloric load, maybe almond milk would make sense because they're trying not to have too much, too many calories. But in the, in the greater picture of life and survival and, you know, domesticating animals that are going to produce the, the most useful um, final products, dairy products are an extraordinarily useful, um, a useful food product for that very reason because of the nutrient density and the ease in which they can be digested. In the case of cow milk, of course, digestion comes quite a bit more difficult, more difficultly, but, uh, but it's still a very nutrient available product. And uh, if we look at traditional um, farming practices for dairy farms, uh, they do a lot of pasteurization and homogenization. Does that destroy mm -hmm. any of the nutrients or does that still allow the nutrients to stay within the, uh, the product? Great question. It's actually one of the interesting things about goat milk is that goat milk is actually naturally homogenized, meaning that uh, it doesn't actually um, have to go through the homogenization process. Homogenization is where you take the fat globules in a particular product. It doesn't have to just be milk, but it normally happens to milk. And you force them through a tiny orifice. And by forcing them under high pressure through that tiny orifice, you destroy the fat globule cell. And then it causes it to be homogeneous throughout the whole mix. And so you don't have the top layer of cream and the bottom layer of skim milk. Um, goat milk already has smaller um, fat, glob fat globules, and it doesn't have to go through that homogenization process. Now, to be fair, cow milk doesn't have to go through a homogenization process either. We just happen to like it as consumers. Um, but yeah, that is a very destructive process. A homogenization process 
is, in my opinion, far more destructive than a pasteurization. Um, people like to say that when you pasteurize milk, you've, you've essentially killed it. Um, I kind of disagree a little bit with that because the way pasteurization can happen um, is through a fairly, is a, can be a fairly gentle process where you actually bring the milk up to 161 degrees for 15 seconds, then bring it right back down again. Um, if you are ever looking at a dairy product that says UHT, that means ultra high temperature pasteurization. That's where they have brought it past the boiling point, um, usually above 220 degrees Fahrenheit, and um, and that is a sterilized milk. I would I would not recommend anybody use anything that's been ultra pasteurized. But typical, just regular pasteurized milk, um, the biggest thing it's going to do uh, is is going to kill pathogens. Now. It's also going to destroy some heat-sensitive vitamins, vitamin, things like vitamin C, and it's also going to destroy any um, healthy beneficial probiotics as well as any healthy or beneficial enzymes that you might find in uh, raw milk. Now, that is unfortunate, but there are some pretty nasty disease, uh, sicknesses you can get from raw milk. And because raw milk is 90% water, it has a very high water activity. And the higher a water, the higher a food's water activity, the more likely it is for that product to get contaminated with bacteria and, and to grow that bacteria. And so I've actually gotten sick from raw milk before when I was a kid. It was not actually from our own raw milk, but it was from a, a neighboring dairy's raw milk. I drank straight from their bulk tank, uh, took a cupful right from their bulk tank, and, and I got something called Campylobacter poisoning. And it was it was 10 days of just a hor- horrendous, you know, um, uh, gastric distress, and I lost 10 pounds. And it was, it was not something you, anybody would want to go through. But it would definitely not be something you'd want anybody who already was somewhat immunocompromised to have to go through. It could be deadly then. Um, so I'm not a huge advocate of raw milk unless it's a very well-trusted source. And then I think raw milk definitely has its benefits. And then earlier you were talking about the way from, I believe it was cheese, that's much more mineral rich. Is that true in mm-hmm. both goat milk and cow milk? Or does goat milk have more minerals in general than cow milk? Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely. It's true for it's true for cows as well. It's true for sheep milk. It's true for ruminant ruminant milks. You know the thing about um, the thing about what ruminants do that's so I think is so fascinating is they are a heavily perennial um, perennial based grazers, meaning that they are they are grazing on renewable grasses and shrubs and you know low line trees and whatnot. And what they actually will do is they'll take the mineral content found in those grasses and shrubs and they make it bioavailable for us. Um, goats do this especially well, but but the, the plants are really good at making the minerals found in the soil bioavailable for the animals. And then the animals are really good at making the, the, the minerals that are found in the plants bioavailable for us. And that's one of the reasons why I always recommend people try and get their mineral supplements from food sources and not from just ground up rocks, which is oftentimes a lot of the uh, the kind of mineral supplements that you find out there. The the one of the things that we've noticed as we have overgrazed, um, not overgrazed as much as overfarmed our land, is that the mineral content that is supposed to be in these various annual crops, things like 
carrots or cucumbers or cabbage, that the actual mineral content of those things is significantly lower than when we uh, initially set all of our standards back in the 1950s uh, using the USDA. So in the case of, say, cabbage, for example, this is I think this is an interesting thing to think about. A cabbage um, in 1950s was analyzed and all of the mineral content was put into a, a data uh, in, into a graph in a in a data chart and we can go look at it right now if you were to grow a similar cabbage today you would need roughly 13 cabbages to equal the mineral content found in that cabbage that was grown in 1950 and that wow. partially is because of it's partially because of the way that we have destroyed a lot of our soil or depleted a lot of our soil through over farming and through chemical fertilizers and kind of non-organic industrial agricultural practices. Now that doesn't happen with perennials or it, it doesn't happen as frequently with perennials um, because perennials have to grow back every year and perennial would be like a grass. And so these goats will actually, or cows would do it too, or sheep. Um, but it doesn't really matter as much with cows if you are intolerant of the final product. But these goats will actually concentrate these minerals down um, in their milk. And so when, um, when you're taking this, like, for example, our particular product, which is called Capra Mineral Whey, our Capra Mineral Whey has over 20 different bioorganic minerals, minerals that are in a final food state form, put there, um, a very bioavailable form, put there by the goat, through, through the uh, rumination process. And so it's an excellent way of boosting minerals in your diet because you're not getting them from your food like you used to, at least not from your, uh, your vegetables like you used to. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting because you hear about that a lot with um, like a lot of the crops that are grown now that the nutrient profiles have just been completely depleted. So that the fact that's, that the, the grasses, it takes a lot longer for that to happen. That's super neat. Is there um, any way for you to know if the grass is getting uh, depleted of its minerals? Like, does it not grow back as fast or does it start to brown faster or anything like that? Yeah, great question. It's it it really actually <clears throat> we d we don't look primarily at the grass to tell us what the health of our pastures are. We'll look at the um the health of the soil because the soil one of the things that um you know when you when you really kind of follow the cycle back, it all begins and ends in the soil, you know. And um basically all of life on this entire earth is supported by a six inch layer of soil surrounding the globe. And so it's in, 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 you know, keep in mind, most of the globe is water is, uh, is ocean. So it's, there's a very, very thin skin of, of soil that's basically keeping life functioning here on earth. And that's the soil. And so um, you can absolutely deplete your soil in a perennial um, standpoint as well. Um, if you overgraze. And so overgrazing, one of the ways you can tell overgrazing is you'll, you'll be, you'll start losing topsoil. Um, so for example, um, in um, kind of the breadbasket of the, of the United States, the Great Plains area, um, when the settlers were first coming over, a lot of the grasslands would have grass that would be over your head, It'd be nine feet tall. These, these grasses these, these would just be gigantic. And if you were to take a spade and you were to dig down into the soil, you'd see the soil was four, five feet thick. You would just have this immense, immense bed of soil. 
Um, now, a lot of those same places that have been heavily industrial farmed, now the soil base will be two feet thick or one foot thick or eight inches thick. <clears throat> and so there's like this heavy depletion of soil going on because every time you, you run a crop of soybeans or you run a crop of corn over the course of the ground and you take all of that nutrient out and you don't put it back, you are taking the, nutri nu the nutrients out of the soil. So perennial farming or perennial grass farming can do this if you completely overgraze your grass. And then what will come in is the kind of the natural nature's band-aids, if you will, and, they, and, and we call them weeds. But really what they are, the only thing a weed is, is it's an indication of a problem in your in whatever um, whatever natural environment you're in. So if it's a field, like uh, we have a very interesting video on our on our Facebook page that shows our neighbor's field versus our field. And it's a fence line photo, or it's a fence line video actually, and it shows his fields, his pastures, which he has, he grazes continually all year long, never takes his cows off of them. And there's, and the only thing living in the pasture is weeds and the weeds are thriving because the cows won't eat them but those weeds are actually doing something they're trying to remineralize the soil they're trying to hold the soil down they're doing they're thriving in that area because they thrive in um, areas or in places of of nutrient uh, of heavy soil disturbance but if you look at our pastures which we will graze We'll graze them heavily too, but we graze them heavily for short periods of time, several times per year. Those same fields are thriving. There's not a weed in sight, and it's all thick, um, healthy um, pasture land grasses. And the reason for that is because ruminants, goats, cows, sheep, they can do an incredible job of building topsoil. That's one of the reasons why the Great Plains have such incredible topsoil is because thousands of years of buffalo running, um, buffalo grazing these grounds and being constantly moved by predators have caused the, the soil to really build up. And it's a real natural resource. But, you know, if we don't take care of it, then, of course, it's it's no longer a. It's no longer a resource. It's just a, it's just a, uh, it's just a resource that is being rapidly depleted. So ruminants have a huge role in restoring soil health, and that's how we determine whether or not the the mineral content of our grass grasses is changing or not. It's, uh, if the soil is healthy, then the mineral content will be exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah, we had Joel Salatin on the show, I think it was like episode 14, so a long time ago, and he was talking about the the rebuilding of the topsoil and how important that is in uh, creating a sustainable farm. And I know that you do, um, you're studying a lot into sus sustainable food systems. So have you um, uh, thought about adding in other animals as well, kind of like a, a food system where you have the goats go through an area and then you have other animals following behind, or are you just going to stick primarily with the goats? No, no, absolutely. I, I'm a, I'm a huge, I'm a huge disciple of Joel Salatin's. He's a, he is a, uh, an incredible guy. And, and I really, I look up to him a lot. Um, a, a big portion of what we do in terms of holistic pasture management comes from the kind of the inspiration that he has, he has brought about in farmers all over the, all over the country, all over the world, really. Um, he is, uh, he and Alan Savory, and you could kind of go down the list of these guys that are doing just incredible work in specifically ruminant based, um, 
uh, livestock management um, in pasture management. And so one of the things that we implemented several years ago that that's just a direct a direct um, result of what Joel Salton has done has been the um, has been the chickens um, as pasture sanitizers basically. And so we do we do a whole uh, a whole uh, uh, batch of pastured chickens, pastured birds. And they follow behind the goats as the goats um, graze, and uh, and you know kind of function as that uh, pasture sanitizer that helps keep uh, keep parasites down in the pastures and, and whatnot. Um, we also um, over the past few years have really this is less um, because of things that Joel Salton has done and more to do with my permaculture studies with Jeff Lawton. I studied with Jeff Lawton when I got my uh, permaculture degree, um, is uh, in, in introducing, um, you know, a very holistic management of bees. And so we've got about 20 hives on the farm now. Um, and the idea, of course, behind having bees is, of course, you get you get the sweet reward like honey and wax and things like that. But the best thing, the absolute best thing that those bees can, can provide for for a farm is um, increased pollination of everything. And, you know, our food supply relies so heavily upon a healthy bee population that um, not only does it help our specific farm, but the more we can help bee, uh, the bee population to thrive, um, the, better, the better off we will be as a society. So, so those would be the two, the two additional animals that we, we utilize a lot for kind of a holistic approach to not only pasture management, but, uh, but just environmental stewardship. Yeah, I love seeing uh, farms doing that type of work because uh, instead of having the same amount of land just for one animal, now you're able to utilize the same amount of land for a variety of animals and it keeps the land a lot healthier. So it's super awesome that you are doing that over at Mount Capra. Um, since I have you on uh, the line here, can you talk about some of your favorite products that Mount Capra has? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we um, it was about the late 1990s that we stopped making cheese and started to focus exclusively on nutritional supplements and whole foods. And so um, we have a, a whole series of different protein supplements based um, on goat milk, of course. Um, things uh, like our uh, we, we've actually just recently come out with a new uh, protein supplement. And it's simply called Clean Protein. And the reason why we call it clean protein is because um, we, we were noticing a real de uh, desire within our uh, customer population to have a protein that did not contain any sweeteners, any flavorings, any gums, anything at all other than the protein. Because a lot of our customers want to use the proteins in their own in their own um, concoctions, in their own smoothies, in their own recipes and whatnot. And so our clean protein line is our newest offering of protein. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's a, it's an excellent protein line. Um, also, the one we've been making for 90 years now is our Capra Mineral Whey. It used to be called Wex Whey Extract. Now we call it Capra Mineral Whey, and um, that's going to be the the uh, the supplement or the the food that provides some excellent levels of minerals, uh, minerals and electrolytes. And then the third one that we've uh, we've we're still really the only the only farm that's doing this. Although I would imagine other farms will start doing this soon enough. Is we um, we take all of our all of the cream that we uh, that we get from our goats and we churn it into butter. Um, and then we will actually take that butter and simmer it for several hours. Um, and turn it into goat milk ghee. And goat milk ghee, G-H-E-E, -E, is another way of saying clarified butter. It basically is butter 
that has no protein in it. It has no lactose in it. It has no minerals in it. It is just a pure butter oil. And it's really a fascinating product because it, it tastes, it has almost like a sweet coconut flavor to it. And it, at room temperature, it's actually semi-liquid. And the reason for that is because it's very high in medium chain triglycerides, MCTs. That's the capric, the caproic, and the caprylic acid. And if you look at the name of our company, Mount Capra, Capra is the Latin word for goat. The three medium chain triglycerides that are most important for the for your health are capric, caprylic, and caproic. And they get their names because they show up in goat milk and goat milk only. And so it's uh, it's a, I mean, they show up in goat milk only. They also show up in um, coconut oil, but not nearly in the levels that they do in the goat milk. So the goat milk ghee is also a product that we've, we've had a lot of people really, uh, really enjoy quite a lot. Awesome. And then for people who, um, you know, they're really into their fitness and they either want to uh, build up some bulk or they want to lean out, is the clean protein the uh, the supplement that you would offer them, or do you have anything else that would help uh, more for those type of people? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you're looking to bulk up, there's going to be three proteins that I would recommend. Um, if you're looking for just a no frills protein, clean would be clean would be the the, the, the best one for you there, simply because um, it's going to it's going to have um, a excellent um, array of both whey protein and casein protein. Now, we, we, we really believe in this whole protein approach, which is to say not a just an isolate or a concentrate of one or the other product. Um, but milk has two proteins, whey and casein, and our clean protein and our double bonded protein, both of those proteins have um, a the whole protein, meaning that they have both casein and whey in them. So both of those are going to be really good for, for bulking up because whey does a very good job of stimulating protein synthesis or the, or the creation of new muscle. But, it, but casein does a really excellent job at suppressing proteolysis, which is the breakdown of previously constructed proteins or muscle. So, so you really kind, we recommend people include both casein and whey um, in their diet so that you're not losing those gains that you've tried so hard to get. Now, if you know all of that and you've got different plans for how you want to incorporate casein or you don't want to incorporate it at all, then we have a product that's just simply called goat whey protein. It's just goat whey protein, and it's a whey protein concentrate. It's actually the product that the Seattle Seahawks use. It's their exclusive protein on the team. Um, we know the, the nutritionist really well up there on the Seattle Seahawks team, and she, she actually will make every individual player on the team an individualized, personalized smoothie every day at practice and for games and whatnot, and um, and they use the uh, the goat whey protein as the uh, as the exclusive protein for them. So the goat whey protein is going to be another good one because it's whey is really really good at, at stimulating protein synthesis. So clean, double bonded protein and goat whey protein. Awesome. And once again, if someone has had like a food allergy test come back and they are they have a sensitivity to a casein, then that's a different type of casein than what's found in goat milk whey, correct? Correct, exactly. Now, that's not to say that people will never have a sensitivity to casein, the casein found in goat milk, but that it's very, very uncommon to have a, a sensitivity to both the cow, cow casein and goat casein. Usually, it's just the cow casein because that's such a, a highly allergenic compound, and goat casein is, is, is just an excellent nutrient for, for most people. 
Awesome. And then my final question here, especially since uh, you're running a farm out there, I like to ask people if they have a morning routine, what it is, what it is. And I'm sure you have a very busy morning routine. So I'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's always lots of work to do on the farm, but uh, I have um, I have a big family. Uh, my wife and I have been married for over 11 years, and we have almost seven children now. She's due in uh, she's kind of due any day now with number seven for us. Um, so it's really uh, we homeschool our kids too. So um, it's really important that every morning I am um, um, I am spending time with her over coffee. And we're planning out our day together and we are praying together and we usually have some time where we will read the Bible together. And um, and that's that's one thing that I never miss in the morning. Now, sometimes uh, I have a variety of different chores that that come up. Sometimes I'm delivering milk. Sometimes I have to we have to load milk and deliver milk to, to be processed. That doesn't happen every day. Sometimes I just have uh, regular uh, uh, animal chores. Sometimes I have to get up early just to get um, newsletters out or, you know, dialoguing with our customer base. But uh, usually I try to use the mornings for the most um, mind intensive work. Um, sometimes it's easy to get to take get those mornings taken up with uh, scanning the news headlines or or filling your mind with things that are maybe a distraction for the day. I try not to do that. And I try to make sure that I, if I'm doing any type of mental work in the morning, that I, I get the most mentally intense stuff done before the day um, has fully, has fully, has fully gotten, gotten off the, off the, off the ground. Um, that's super important uh, for my morning routine. Awesome, Jill. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Before we exit here, can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. We are we are here in Washington State. Um, we are right between Seattle and Portland. If you want to check out more, um, see a video of the farm and maybe try some of our products, you can find us at mountcapra.com. That's M as in Mary, T as in Tom, C-A-P-R-A.com, mountcapra.com. Um, and for um, in in just we do do farm tours uh, uh, from time to time again. I'm not exactly sure when this particular episode is going to air, but if you depending on when it airs, check our check our website to see when the next farm tour is going to be. We love to have folks out um, and uh, for the for the farm tours. So mountcapra.com, and again, um, my name is Joe Stout. I can be reached at uh, at my uh, we, you can you can send us an email that I'll get at orders at mountcapra.com is a good way to get in touch with me. Awesome, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about goat milk and how it differs from uh, traditional cow milk. And to explain, you know, some of the benefits that people can receive from goat milk. So it was super interesting to hear. And thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much, Brian. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope this was helpful and allowed you to learn a little bit more about the differences between goat milk and cow milk and how a lot of people that have reactions to cow milk can actually still use some goat milk products. Um, also, I set up an affiliate link. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash Capra, which is C-A-P-R-A, then that will take you right to their website. And also in the show notes, we have links to all the products that we discussed in this podcast. We also still have free shipping on our flu tea for the rest of October. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash FLU, then you can see our tea that we use during the cold and flu season just to help support the body uh, to be able to fight off the cold and flu 
to boost your immunity and to also help the respiratory system. So go take a look at that. If you enjoyed this episode, then please go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews do make a difference in helping to get our podcast out to more people. So go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes, and it'll only take about 20 seconds to leave us a quick rating. I know I just left you all with a bunch of different links, so pick one, go with it, and keep on climbing to the peak of your health, and we will talk with everyone next time.